Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 20th of November, 2020, and we're back with episode 172. We've got a wonderful guest with us today, but before getting started, please don't forget to drop me five stars over on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. Also, check us out at hogandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O.com. All right, so I'm joined today by Brett Baver over at RideOS. Brett's coming at us over from Pittsburgh. So RideOS builds themselves as a universal mobility as a service platform. They provide software to efficiently move people and things throughout the world. That is a pretty good way to describe this really incredibly important thing they do, which is essentially to insert themselves as a layer as between pretty much any autonomous vehicle thing you can think of theoretically and really any industry vertical and the optimization of their route planning from A to B. So they are hugely important, incredibly broad sweeping in their scope. And well, Brett's here to tell us all about it. So I hope you're sitting comfortably. Episode 172 with Brett Baver from Ride OS begins now. Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So um, at RideOS, we're um, we're not only um, in the space of autonomous vehicles. We're really a transportation platform. Um, our mission statement is building software to efficiently move people and things throughout the world. Um, so right now, a lot of our business is in supporting companies um, that do ride hail and delivery, especially delivery this year since the the pandemic began, um, and uh, that includes human driven companies, but also um, working with those who are starting to create um, businesses with their self-driving vehicles as well. Um, so, so that includes uh, routing, that includes fleet optimization, as well as some stateful dispatch services and uh, web tools to manage your fleet. Um, but I think the thing that really sets us apart is um, what we do for um, the needs of autonomous vehicles. And that's where my team comes in. Um, I work in Pittsburgh, um, where I um, spent the last few years working for um, Uber ATG um, before moving on over. Um, and uh, my team that I've built here um, is supporting the needs of autonomous vehicles inside the platform. So that includes things like making sure we can properly represent the routes for the autonomous vehicles by modeling the operational domain. Um, and then also being able to estimate still the, the driving times it takes to drive um, those uh, routes inside of the OD as well. How are you? How are you defining uh, AVs in this case? I mean, in what like what context? I mean, are we talking delivery bots? Are we talking um, the the existing kind of various companies testing AVs on the streets today? Or what's your scope or your breadth? I guess. Yeah, I'm actually glad you asked because um, we have recently started working with uh, sidewalk delivery bots as well um, because of the way our platform is built to be very flexible. Um, we can actually work on different kinds of maps. So that can be roads or sidewalks or even, you know, private properties like shipyards, 
interior warehouse properties, as long as we have a map that represents the, um, the paths that can be taken, the connectivity between them, we can move uh, agents inside of that to, to complete tasks on, inside of that network. So Got it. So, okay. So you guys are basically like any vertical, any application. That's the point. You're really kind of open-ended, but where, where is the, so where do you guys pull the mapping data from though? Yeah, so we uh, generally, for most of our customers, we're working on the roads and we start with open street map data. Um, we are able, however, to ingest um, data that comes from the customer themselves um, and, uh, and other data that we find useful in the future for new use cases. The, the way you handle traffic data, though, is different, right? As I understand it, you're not actually, you're not actually for lack of a better word, streaming real-time traffic data. That, that sounds like it'd be a massive overhead anyway. You're doing something a bit different. Yeah, I'm not fully grasping it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me explain a little bit. So um, we do a couple of things for the sake of autonomous vehicle partners. So um, one is uh, getting route prediction right to improve fleet efficiency. And the other is, is getting route guidance right to improve uh, individual vehicle performance. And so I can tell a little bit about um, each of those things separately. Um, so one of the problems that um, can happen when autonomous vehicle companies are trying to bring up a service is they're, uh, may maybe they're running inside of someone else's network or maybe they're um, trying to use someone's platform like um, RideOS or one of our competitors. Um, but those systems, in order to make dispatch decisions, they have to be able to predict what the vehicles on that network are going to do. They need to know, can this vehicle successfully complete this trip? They need to know which route will this vehicle take to complete that trip? And how long is it going to take to do that? If they don't get that right, then they might assign the wrong vehicle, which might not be able to do it or, or might take a, a long time and, and make the, the fleet less efficient and the experience bad for the customer, right? So we give extremely flexible controls to model the operational domain um, for any kind of use case, uh, autonomous vehicles that can't make unprotected left turns, ones that stay within um, certain arterial roads um, within the city. Um, any, any particular um, limitation you have can be modeled in our system. And then that is integrated through the entire stack so that you can get ETA matrices based on that. You can uh, make dispatch decisions based on that. Um, you can feed that information to a third-party transportation network so that they know exactly what your vehicles will be able to do and they make good dispatch assignments to those vehicles. So, so okay, let me let me just take a step back for a moment just to make sure I've, uh, I get this. I mean, so just at least anecdotally, academically, I mean, one of the hardest things that, you know, history shares about Uber's earliest days, especially since you were at Uber previously, mm -hmm. is that obviously it was precisely their ability to do the route optimization that mm -hmm. proved the most challenging, right? Mm -hmm. um, this then is presumably a pretty hard thing for anybody trying to get into this space to do right, mm -hmm. right? So whether it's for ride sharing or delivery services, certainly, as you say, AV applications generally, I'm guessing this will remain a very difficult thing. So is the idea that you guys are basically kind of offloading this part of the development for a company so that rather than developing this stuff in-house, people can just sort of use your solution? That's right. Yeah. So for... Um... For the route prediction side of things, we provide the dispatch solution and we do it in a way where we're going to make intelligent decisions based on what your vehicles can actually do in your operational domain. And in fact, if, if you're even, uh, you know, if the vehicles are not taking into account things like traffic, 
they're going to make different decisions than a, than an, a platform like ours typically would predict as well. But we can also account for that um, and actually match the sort of the costing that is used by the, uh, by those vehicles to to really predict what they're going to do and make good decisions. But we also um, are uh, moving into the space of doing route guidance, and that's where we can um, also take over the routing for an individual vehicle um, and help them stay within their operational domain. But inside of that, still take into account things like real-time traffic and events that will then um, allow them to make good decisions inside their operational domain. As that domain grows over time um, and there's more options to take um, your routes, that uh, becomes more and more important in order to give your customers the best experience and the best route for, for where they need to go. Got it. So just to be clear, then, it's really a layer that goes on top of the foundational, say, autonomy layer which is handling the actual perception and physical capability of driving. This then is strictly the routing capability, right? That's right. And it lives in the cloud. Um, so these right. would be integrated through API calls. Um, and uh, the way I view this in terms of route guidance is it's essentially the equivalent of um, someone uh, driving as a human and using a GPS navigation device. Um, what we can provide is uh, the route that can be followed by the vehicle. Um, and as long as the developer can build that level of artificial intelligence, which can take in um, a route represented as a, a path of global coordinates, um, then figure out how to make the physical movements in the world by, um, in the typical case, matching that to their HD map, um, then uh, they can get a route from us that will actually help them be more efficient inside of their operational domain. So, I mean, stepping away from AVs just for a moment, as weird as that is for me to suggest, I mean, <laughs> isn't this something that could theoretically be applied to like any car uh, mm -hmm. to sort of augment their existing onboard navigation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one really interesting example of this, in fact, is um, uh, I spoke with a company a while ago who makes uh, low speed vehicles, right? So these vehicles must stay under a certain speed limit legally. Um, and we... Um, can actually, uh, we recently launched a feature to only route on roads under a particular speed limit or over a particular mm -hmm. speed limit. It's flexible. You just set that criteria um, and we will um, restrict the routes in that way. And so that could be used for something like in-car navigation for human drivers when they need to know, you know how to stay within those restrictions. And there's any number of reasons that um, a transportation network or a vehicle um, may need to restrict their operations in some way. It's not just the um, yeah, operational domains of AVs. And I'm assuming this can be kind of custom tailored, limited, geofenced, restricted to certain roads as necessary? That's right. Yeah. So you can limit it via areas, um, geofences. You can limit it via directed or bi-directional paths. So just the roads along that path. And you can even limit um, the particular maneuvers through an intersection. So don't go straight, don't turn right, don't turn left. Um, the most common use case of that being, you know, don't take in this unprotected left turn. Um, and uh, this is the full expressivity that's, that's actually needed to, you know, to match the operational domain of an AV. Whereas a, lo a lot of other um, competitors may be able to do something like a geofence, um, that really doesn't cover everything you need to be able to um, avoid specific turns and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure if this is a valid question, but as I try to further wrap my head around all this, I mean, so there's been a lot of talk in the last couple uh, years, really, uh, so-called HD mapping, you know, real-time HD mapping providers mm -hmm. that are out there. 
I mean, this still is quite distinctly separate to that, right? So I guess from, just to focus on the real-time element of this, I mean, so one of the use cases that is often discussed is, for example, on a certain on a certain um, path, say, maybe it's been obstructed because a tree suddenly fell over, I don't know, five minutes ago. Right. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that's precisely not the sort of use case that this is designed for. Rather, this is more the generalized case where, look, this is how things are. This is how you're going to optimally get from A to B. Am I, am I correct that, that these sort of um, sort of real-time cases are beyond the scope of what you guys uh, take care of? We actually do ingest real-time and historical traffic information. So that can okay. include um, the effects of construction, the effects of incidents like you, you just listed. Um, if we notice that traffic is not flowing anymore through a particular road, we can stop routing through there. Um, we don't do that in the form right now of taking, you know, information about specifically what event is causing that traffic, but we do plan over time to enrich that understanding more and more and, and uh, become, you know, even more intelligent at, at how we understand where you can go and how quickly you can, you can go through there. You know, TechCrunch described you guys when you raised your Series B, I think, uh, I think I read somewhere that, you know, you're sort of the traffic control center. <laughs> for all this stuff right yeah, sure. um and it just and it reminded me is there like a municipality play in the, in the future in the sense of uh you know one of the things that's actually i should back up i remember gosh 20 years ago i visited singapore and even back then i was blown mm. away to learn uh you know as a kid in school that like wow virtually all their roads are already monitored in real time and they have mm -hmm. dynamic tolling to help regulate traffic and blah 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 it was super cool right and that was yeah. 20 years ago like there's been a lot of talk lately about how um there might be a very real need for that going forward as well you know far beyond simply real-time tolling of roads and so forth but really again this this, this notion of kind of a air traffic control for avs generally Mm -hmm. And without spiraling too out of control into the rabbit hole of discussion, I always love to get into. And so far as kind of federal regulation of AVs generally and so on and so forth. I mean, I feel like if indeed we eventually get to that point where truly level four and certainly level five vehicles are effectively a regulated thing, just like air travel, mm. it seems, I mean, I wonder if you see where I'm going with this, or I'm just totally rambling off the deep end here, but like, I wonder whether there's a use case where municipalities would have a very real need or there'd be some very real value for them to essentially ensure that this kind of uh, functionality is baked into all AVs as a matter of course. Yeah, I mean, I actually um, not too long ago made a connection with um, the uh, one of the leads in mobility in the city of Pittsburgh, um, and we're not actively involved in any um, project with them today, um, but being here in Pittsburgh, you know, when there are opportunities to work together with them, um, I would love to start there. Um, also, it's Pittsburgh. I mean, you guys are like, I always affectionately call you guys like the epicenter of all things AV. It's just astonishing what little Pittsburgh has been rising up to, to become. It's been amazing. <laughs> I feel very fortunate to have been here to, uh, you know, to, to ride that wave from very close to the beginning um, at Uber yeah. APG. Um, so, yeah, we had some interesting conversations about how we could support um, a variety of things. I mean, we could... Um, in the same way we support transportation networks like we talked about earlier, we could support um, public transit applications of AV shuttles, for example. Um, we also um, could potentially uh, just be a layer by which you oversee and orchestrate um, on-demand AVs of a variety of sorts. And we have the ability to um, bring together not only um, 
AVs, but human drivers, AVs with a variety of different operational domains and put those all into one uh, fleet. And you can then uh, dispatch accordingly to based on the needs. So I would, I would love to see um, a very dynamic combined uh, sort of transportation system, multimodal with um, you know, different providers, different types and sizes of vehicles, all handling the demand of the city um, uh, in a very dynamic fashion that really adapts as the needs of the city change. I mean, we've seen this year how much things can change very quickly, right? And things like a fixed route bus system with these large vehicles that don't get uh, filled up most of the time just seem like they're, they're really not that uh, dynamic enough to support uh, the needs of the city anymore. You know, since you alluded to what's happening this disaster of 2020, I mean, it's worth kind of segueing just for a moment. I mean, everybody's been suggesting, and I guess at least anecdotally, and literally it's been shown that there's been a bit of a slump in all things AV. Mm. I have optimistically, some might say somewhat foolishly, I don't know, been actually really uh, kind of optimistic about all things in AV precisely because of what's been happening with COVID. Mm -hmm. I've been suggesting Mm -hmm. for a long time that actually, uh, you know, the future is here. We're just not ready for it yet. I mean, if we were at a level five world already, things would be much easier to manage in this COVID world of ours. So what's your view, at least, at least personally, like what's your view? Like, did did you kind of agree or disagree? Like it's should, should indeed not COVID be sort of a catalyst to, to, if only because of the obvious value that a true AV future would offer. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm a little bit envious of people uh, in Arizona who can uh, who can ride a, a Waymo <laughs> right now without a driver. Uh, on the other hand, hold, hold on, though. Their, their roads are larger <laughs> than most airport runways. Sure. I mean, no offense to Waymo. I think it's awesome what they're doing. I say this is an affectionate backhanded compliment, but come oh. on, those roads are gigantic. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my, my whole point here being that um, they can get a ride and not worry about uh, the driver giving them, you know, COVID-19, right? So um, <laughs> I think that uh, there's a lot of people, including myself, who are, who are staying away from, from ride hail right now. In the, in, in the beginning of the pandemic, um, the numbers I heard were around 80% drop or so in, um, in ride hail generally. And um, one of our partners, Alto, um, saw just this and had to pivot to you know, delivery um, to, to uh, make sure that they kept their business going. And, and that's, a, that's a common story right now. But I would say that um, since there's most people don't have access to that kind of thing right now, um, uh, one of the really active areas of development is um, in delivery and in freight. Um, and yeah. we're seeing an especially big need for that now with people buying more things from home. Um, so everything from the sidewalk delivery bots, which we're starting to work with, um, small on-road delivery vehicles like, um, like your Neuros, I think Refractions, um, we're starting to talk with some companies like that as well, um, with uh, you know uh, companies like Udelve, uh, which are you know more uh, I think delivery van size, all the way up to freight trucks like Too Simple and Ike and and Kodiak and so on. Right, um, every part of this chain is um, really uh, I think accelerating in this year in in their development uh, because of the the um, uh, the fact that everyone sees the need right and the commercial opportunity there. Um, and it's and in some ways it's it's an easier problem. You don't have to worry about, you know, the the safety and comfort of a passenger, right? Um, you uh, you can uh, focus on, sometimes on operational domains that are simpler, like highways for freight, right? Um, so uh, there's a lot of movement in that space. I'm really excited about that. Well, speaking of freight, um, 
at least anecdotally, I think we've all heard the story that UPS did so much work trying to optimize their routing project, uh, predictions, you know, to optimize their drivers uh, along their way that they apparently generally don't allow left turns, for instance, although I think that might be more of a safety issue. Right? Mm. They don't have trucks turning left across oncoming traffic. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it seems to me like if there would be, a, like, in other words, how easy, how easy is it to integrate this layer of, of routing optimization into, shall we say, for lack of a better, better word, more legacy type companies? In other words, is there a reasonably straightforward path, say, for a UPS or somebody like UPS to effectively bake in what you guys have, have, have developed to really optimize their, uh, <laughs> to optimize their optimization. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, this is part of the reason why we have like APIs at different uh, levels where you can integrate what makes sense to you. Um, everything from the lowest level um, where if you have your own optimization algorithms, which I know some of these companies already have put a ton of work into that. Um, if you just want to feed into that accurate ETAs, you can call our system to get accurate ETAs for any number of different types of vehicles with different types of constraints, right? Um, if you want to integrate at a higher level, like you already have your service running, but you're willing to um, offload the optimization problem to a company like ours that can focus on um, making that very efficient, effective, um, we can also just have you send um, your vehicles, your tasks, um, and into a stateless API call and just send you back a solution whenever you need it. Um, and then at the highest levels, you know, you can integrate with us at the stateful dispatch level. We can run sort of the whole state of your service for you um, all the way up to we're, we're um, gearing up to launch some more new web tools that really make it possible to do um, integrations with no code at all for companies that are um, less technical but want to still you know, take advantage of all of this technology. This is pretty cool. I mean, it's really widespread, right? I mean, this, I mean, I'm just sort of, just imagine this could definitely cross a lot of different industry verticals, right? I mean, and I would imagine it could theoretically even go beyond, so we say conventional vehicles. I mean, I feel like this could be used to optimize just about anything going from A to B. Yeah, theoretically. I mean, yeah absolutely. Right now, um, specifically focusing on anything that has um, a connected network of paths that it can travel through, right? Which, right. Could, mm -hmm. like I said, could be sidewalks, could be corridors in a building. Um, however, uh, over time, I imagine we may even want to branch out beyond that to things like urban aviation and so on. But I'm very much speculating <laughs> to the future at this point, to say that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, how, how did you get into the space, by the way? I know you said you were formerly at Uber, uh, and, and but I mean, your original foray into all things AV and that sort of thing, was your background primarily in... Uh, well, I'm guessing engineering of some sort. Yeah. So um, after graduation, I worked at, at Google for several years um, and I worked on a lot of different things. Uh, one of the things I worked on there was um, what became Google Express, um, which was uh, uh, um, at the time we were trying uh, to make it a same day delivery service that would um, pick up your um, uh, your packages from uh, local stores. Um, and bring them to your um, door. And I actually remember this. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I think the service is still running, but I think it may have shifted a bit to um, not same day delivery. Um, but I actually I haven't used it in, uh, in some time, mm -hmm. so I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure. But during that time, I worked on the shipping team and learned about fleet optimization, um, how we were taking these um, pickups and drop offs and um, and consolidating them in order to make them efficient. Um, 
And so uh, during my time at uh, Google here in Pittsburgh, um, I heard about them bringing up uh, the new uh, Advanced Technologies Center here uh, for Uber. And I had been wanting to get into um, uh, self-driving cars for quite a long time. So I reached out um, and I was the first person from Google Pittsburgh to join the, uh, the company um, in 2015. Um, then during that time, I was uh, one of the earliest members of the AV routing team and spent about four years there, um, eventually becoming a tech lead and a manager inside of that team. Um, so I learned all kinds of things about uh, what are the needs of autonomous vehicles for their uses in testing, for their uses in real world trips. You know, we were um, the one of the first to launch um, actual trips with actual customers in um, uh, level three autonomous vehicles in the United States. Um, that was back in, I think, September of 2016. Um, and I was sitting at that boundary between the dispatches we received from Uber and the routing we did on board the vehicles. Um, mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about those challenges sitting you know, right there at that boundary, right? So, so when uh, Justin Ho, the CEO of RideOS, came to talk to me, um, it just seemed like, you know, the perfect fit to take my web services background from from Google, my AV routing uh, background uh, from ATG, and sort of that knowledge about how you know trip dispatch and, and AVs interact with each other. Um, so I can speak the language of um, the autonomous vehicle developers and help them see the value that we can provide from, from the dispatch side and the routing side um, at RideOS. Huh, yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, I just it's funny, it triggered a memory of mine. I wonder if you remember this, uh, you know, your usage of the word uh, dispatch reminds me, I remember the, the pre-Twitter days, remember Jack Dorsey used to originally work on a thing uh, trying to track or visualize ambulance hmm. dispatch. Did you ever read about this? Do you remember I, this? I don't remember that, no. Yeah, I mean, this just goes back, well, I guess this would have been sometime around the early 2000s, I suppose. But my, mm. my point is, this is a very real issue that goes way back, depending on how you want to define the scope of the problem. But uh, yeah, and obviously now with AVs, it's like the perfect use case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Huh. So what do you what do you think then? I mean, just taking a step back more broadly for a second, uh, what, what, how, how does one ultimately solve the, uh, the consumer acceptance problem for AVs? I mean, is this something you guys give much thought to, or at least you personally? I mean, there's this notion of, you know, so, so let me rephrase the question this way. Uh, mm -hmm. I've often thought for a while that, that with all due respect to the uh, engineers working on these really, really difficult problems, uh, you know, I, I think that if within about five to 10 years, we don't start to see some real headway being made, it's frankly going to be the fault of municipal leaders and, you know, policymakers and, and regular regulators, they're going to be holding things back Maybe um, so. rather than the actual engineering. What do you think? Maybe so. Um, I think we're in an interesting state. So um, there was, there was an excellent presentation by um, a presenter from uh, PAVE um, at the uh, AV symposium conference this summer that this makes me think of. Um, and it was one of my favorites from, from that conference. Um, there, there is sort of a, a perception problem and an acceptance problem in both directions right now, right? So we have um, people who don't have much exposure or understanding of uh, AVs who 
uh, don't trust them at all, right? I would never get on that. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it would be safe. Um, but maybe if they just got some exposure, um, that might start to change. And in fact, we do see then people who start to get exposed to uh, more advanced, like level two ADA systems, or or sometimes uh, level three testing, they start to trust it quite a bit. Um, and in fact, they then maybe swing too far on the other side to over trust, right? Which is where we see uh, not only consumers in, using things like Tesla Autopilot, but um, level three, you know, safety drivers who um, have been trained and and really should understand what to do, over trusting the vehicle and 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 causing issues, uh, even you know, within within a, a company as a trained employee, and so. Finding that right balance is very much an, like an education problem that um, organizations like PAVE is, is working on. And uh, you know, they, they struggle with things like um, the SAE level system, level one, two, three, four, five. How do you communicate this to consumers in a way that they understand and know how to interact safely with these vehicles? Um, how do you avoid you know, someone seeing an issue uh, with a level two vehicle that is the driver's fault because they were overconfident? And then themselves thinking, oh, I should never trust a level four vehicle, right? When they when they just they don't see the difference between these things. Um, so I would love to see um, some solutions to that. I um, I haven't seen a proposal yet that um, that I think solves that, but I, I, I am concerned that we really need to sort through these um, misunderstandings with some sort of education. But unless I'm reading between the lines, then it kind of sounds like we might share the same opinion that at some point this does need to be federally regulated. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much in support of, of reasonable regulations to keep people safe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So zooming back to your actual product, or I should say products, plural, um, mm -hmm. strictly speaking, it's three different things, right? Yeah, you could say that. Um, we have the routing sort of level, we have the optimization level, and then we have uh, Kind of a large bucket that we call command center, which includes our um, our dispatch um, and our web tools and so on. And the, and is it necessarily the case that that a company is going to rely on all three of these, or they tend to sort of pick and choose? Yeah, I would say that we we most often see people um, either at the the highest level um, doing a full dispatch solution, or at the lowest level using um, routing for um, guidance or ETAs. Um, the optimization level. Um, We've had some discussions, but it's less it's less commonly used. Yeah. So, what are some of the coolest use cases you can share? Uh, I don't know how much you can discuss publicly. I guess either presently or what you're looking forward to. Uh, I know that's always first and foremost on people's minds. <laughs> One of the things that I'm really proud of on my team that we recently launched, um, I, I'd also love to talk about, is um, uh, pickup drop off API. Um, so this is this is a space where autonomous vehicles have particular challenges, but also human drivers as well. Um, I remember uh, using Uber for many years and finding that the drivers were often sent to you know the the wrong street, like a back alley oh, behind, yeah. Yeah, behind the building. And um, when you uh, send an autonomous vehicle to do the same thing, it's uh, it doesn't have a human to to call the rider and uh, look at the map and figure out you know, where it should go instead, right? Um, so, uh, we want to solve that for both humans and, and for AVs, um, and for AVs, we, we hope to solve even more around parking and loading zones, you know, curb management and so on. But what we have today as a starting point, um, is an API where you can, um, take something like the pin that a user 
may have dropped on uh, on the map for where they want to be picked up and understand things like um, this is the appropriate access point to drive to um, in order to pick someone up for that venue. And, um, you know, we really think that that's going to uh, not only help AVs do the right thing, but also help make our, you know, our ETAs more accurate, help our human drivers. Um, and uh, that's a very recent launch that we'd love to um, help people use soon. Yeah, I mean, in sort of urban cores of cities, this is essential. Uh, I remember that, I mean, it's, gosh, it's been a while. To your point earlier, it's been a long time since I've used an Uber or, or a Lyft. Mm -hmm. um, but I do remember Uber had rolled out a while ago th this thing where you know, you'd, you'd drop your pin and then it would say, hey, walk to such and such street corner to meet them. Yeah, I'm guessing that's a rather ambiguous thing. Uh, I'm guessing what you guys are doing is a lot more kind of micro detailed. Right, based a, on knowledge of the actual area rather than just say distance or the direction the car is going. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of different things here. If you were using something like uh, Uber Pool, one of the reasons that they might send you to walk is just to make the overall route um, more efficient. You know, if you right. the car doesn't have to turn off of its current route in order to come pick you up, um, that's a thing that we we may want to do in the future as well. We do actually support pooling in our dispatch and optimization mm -hmm. products. Um, uh, we don't do that kind of express pool thing yet, but it is something that we'd love to do on our, on our roadmap in the future. Um, right now, this is focused specifically on, you know, hey, I want to be picked up at this um, building downtown. Um, don't go to that little alley just because it's the one that happens to be slightly closer to the pin I dropped on the map or my GPS location on my phone. You know, come to the front where you can park in the curb in front of the building and I can walk out and meet you. Is there an argument to be made in favor of working closely with cities to, let's see, to kind of designate pickup areas in the same way we have bus and even taxi loading zones to just designate these things for, for, for autonomous ride pickups? I think it would be great. It's a hotly contested you know, space, right? As you know, I think um, uh, recently uh, you were uh, at the Curbivore conference, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, there's there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to use that space most effectively. I mean, there's people with smart curb management systems that are um, largely focused, I think, on commercial delivery use cases, trying to um, do these like micro transactions for just the time that you stop and maybe even let you um, reserve it slightly uh, in advance. I could see the same thing happening for pickups and drop-offs uh, via AVs. I'm not sure that they're focusing on those use cases that much these days, um, but I, I, I do see that as, a, as a, a future state that is likely to, to happen. Dedicated loading zones that, um, that, that aren't uh, allowing for a little more dynamism like, like those solutions seem less likely to take on uh, for me because I think um, uh, it's just there, there's so many new things that we want to do with these spaces. There's so much contention for these spaces. If we can um, dynamically manage them and balance uh, between all, you know, the ride hails, the deliveries, um, uh, and the personal vehicles, uh, I think that that probably is has the most promise. But I mean, yeah, again, with respect to Pittsburgh, I, I mean, everything I know about your mayor, not to mention all the various initiatives going on in Pittsburgh, I feel like that would be like the optimal place to try to, you know, prioritize that sort of, um, you know, curb usage programs at least for testing. You know? Yeah, I would love to see that. I haven't heard of that being prioritized in Pittsburgh yet. It would be great.
well, this is very cool. I mean, it's it's really neat because right, like there's so many. Uh, obviously, there's tons of different technology companies. There's admittedly a bunch of different you know mapping companies. I feel like what you guys are doing is a pretty singularly focused thing. At least I'm not really familiar with too many folks trying to compete in this space. At least not to the depth and I guess breadth that you guys are doing. This is, this is pretty neat. Yeah, I'm especially proud of how we bring together sort of the the things that mapping and routing companies are usually good at and also the things that the sort of routing uh, uh, technologies within um, the autonomous vehicle uh, companies are good at. Um, we, we can both respect the operational domain and also make intelligent routing decisions inside of it. Whereas the AV companies may not be aware of traffic and they may do something very simple in their OD, we can help them do something more efficient, right? And whereas a mapping and routing company may not understand what an AV is actually going to do, um, we, we, we can help them do that and also do the intelligent routing uh, that they do with traffic awareness and the like. You know, that's a really good point. What you just touched on is, let's face it, uh, this is a space, AV in the broadest sense of the word, that is really so difficult that indeed, I you know, you've got companies that are super, super focused on one aspect of it, um, you know, mm-hmm. at, at a minimum, at a high level, doing the hardware, maybe doing the software, just doing the, the, the automotive part. It's very rare uh, that somebody's managing to do all of it, or in this case, mapping or routing, for example. And then mm-hmm. everyone's realizing they either have to partner up with somebody or they've got to, uh, you know, at least rely on somebody else to do some subset of those tasks, right? It, it's, it's just, it's so exceedingly complex. I mean, we saw, yeah. for example, Zooks was arguably one of the, I think, probably one of the more promising uh, companies out there to try and do all of the above, but mm-hmm. obviously they got gobbled up by Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very unique kind of a thing, right? All the AV tech companies practically are partnering up with an automotive company, right? Because AV tech startups can't build cars and car companies have learned very quickly they can't build AV tech, yeah. right? right? So, so you guys kind of slot really neatly in the middle where you can kind of work with everybody. I that's mean, right. That's, in fact, the, the manufacturers also are worried about, um, you know, losing relevance as uh, we move toward more shared mobility services. So a lot of them are also moving in that direction. And that's a great place for us to come in and support them um, on, uh, you know, op- optimizing their fleets and, and becoming a mobility service provider. We're having those conversations uh, as well with the um, with the uh, OEMs, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you have a few minutes, actually, it's worth unpacking that concern the OEMs have. I mean, you know, I've suggested for a while that, you know, <laughs> there's the age-old marketing question, how does BMW continue to market themselves as the ultimate driving machine if there's no steering wheel, right? right. And so I've suggested that that's not really what's going to happen, though. Mm. I mean, looking further down the road, so to speak, I've got to stop using that expression in the context of AVs. Um, but, but, you know, like I, I, my theory is that because human-driven cars will still be around for obviously quite some time and indeed coexist, maybe in different regions, different roads, but, but regardless, um, I think that the optimal way for existing automobile companies to continue to flourish is to really offer AV solutions, whether it's ride sharing or anything else besides, as an alternative. The the person who wants to buy Mm. a human-driven car is not going to be in the market for an autonomous pod thing. That's just not going to happen, right? These are alternatives. If anything, they're more of like transit solutions rather than personal use, which of course they must be because again, the autonomous future presupposes a shared future, right? So you would never kind of 
cross shop those things, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there will always be multiple modes of transportation, right? And right. There, will be, there will be personal modes, whether they're autonomous or not. There will be shared modes, whether they're private or public, autonomous or not. And um, there's micro-mobility, which now people are also looking at making autonomous as well. Um, there's, there's going to be a, a mix of these things. Um, and, and this is actually part of uh, why we believe that we have uh, quite a, a market available to us, right? Um, we're not expecting a future where, you know, uh, each city has one monopoly on transportation, but rather um, a lot of different options, many of which we can support, even if they're, they're wildly different. Um, and we can become a platform for all of that, you know, multimodal transportation in a city. Absolutely. Well, I'd say you guys are sitting pretty comfortably there then. And uh, look, with respect for your time, uh, we should probably call it a wrap. I mean, this has been really great chatting. And finally, like I said, wrapping my head around everything you guys are doing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast lately, and I'm glad to join you as well. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Obviously, keep in touch, and uh, we'll talk soon. Be sure to check out RideOS at rideos.ai. That's R-I-D-E-O-S dot A-I. Until next time, that is a wrap for today and indeed this week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. See you back here on Tuesday. Bye-bye.